Welcome back to the Misadventure Podcast. Today we are talking Paris, which is a city we both love and we are assuming many of you probably do too. I feel like we should like replay our theme because it's kind of, we stuck a, I, I stuck an Eiffel Tower into our little show graphic because it was the most iconic thing I could think of that screamed travel. And yeah. that kind of inspired Doug Mackey, our theme composer, to bust out an accordion and I go, <laughs> so. <laughs> I will say it has been a very long time. However... There are some plans in the works, and oh. I may possibly be going there later in the year. <gasps> Very exciting. This year? Yes, this Fantastic. year. Fantastic. 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 Magnifique. I can't do it. You're you're so good at the accents, no, I and really I'm just not. like I. My I French sound, is very very bad. I'm very American every <sighs> time I try it. So Paris. The first time I went was was December, so it was the winter of 2001. I had a friend hmm. who lived on Boulevard Henri Cat near the near the Bastille. Um, she lived in an old maid's garret. Oh, cool! On the fifth floor, oh, and they had those cool. timer light switches where you'd put you'd turn on the light switch at the bottom, and then you'd run upstairs, <laughs> and then the light always went out before you made it to the top of the fifth oh. floor. So you had to like hit, and if you forgot to hit another light switch on your way up the stairs, you'd be in the dark by about the fourth floor. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I am yeah. not familiar with that system. Oh, it's a thing. Yeah. So this is just the start of my really disjointed Paris memory. <laughs> so get ready. I was surprised at how hazy some of mine were mm. for really important, iconic places like the Eiffel Tower. I know that I did it. I know I went up and mm. I think there are two levels that you can visit. There's like the midway yes. point and the top and yes. I did both. I've done neither. I didn't do it. I don't remember it. And mm. I don't have any pictures. What was I doing up there? But okay, what <laughs> year did you go? 98. Okay, so this was pre-digital photography. And I yeah. was thinking a lot about this because I was still shooting film then too. Even in 2008, I was one of the last holdouts. <laughs> I really, I used to do darkroom photography, so I really have a thing for film. And so I was still shooting film. And when you shoot film, you don't shoot a million photos because yeah. it costs money to develop that film. And right. so you're really choosy about what you take photos of. And so there, I'm looking through these index prints that was all I could find of that trip and there's so much stuff in here that I remember doing but never took a, a photo of and most right. of my photos are of stupid things like a dog on some cobblestones or <laughs> so yeah I, it's interesting what what we focused on when we only had 36 exposures right, per roll right and I brought and I remember I always brought tons of rolls of film mm -hmm. but it was is you still had to budget and so yep. now now I, when I go on trips I shoot on my month-long trip, I think I shot 120,000 photographs in 27 days and yeah. or 25 days. And it's like nothing. So, so you can document every... every. Everything. Everything. I have tens of thousands Every of potato pictures. chip on yeah. your plate gets its own photo. I mean... <laughs> So it's it's a very different thing. It's a yeah. very different thing. And I am a hyper-documenting person anyway. I think Me also too. on this trip, I think I was actually making some sort of conscious effort to try to let that go mm -hmm. because it was my honeymoon, it's your honeymoon and I was trying yeah. to just enjoy it. Right. And of course now I'm like, you idiot! <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <sighs> But I do have some things here that I that I brought. I brought um, I brought the sketchbook I was working on Ooh. for both my first trip to Paris and my return trip. 
so you can kind of see what I was doing. And here we are, we're recording a podcast, and I'm... And we're bringing visuals, both of us. <laughs> this is why we can scan things. We totally get this medium. So I started, um, so I okay, started first this... first of all, your notebook is amazing, and that's vellum. It is vellum. It's hand... I bought that in a CC. I was living in Rome at the time, oh, and a CC has, it's known for its bookbinding studios, and so I, I bought one there. That is vellum. Very good eye. So the first bit of it is Rome. And oh, wow. I was trying something different with that sketchbook. So I, instead of um, what I normally do, which are these full page scenes, I actually was doing these little vignettes, almost like they were comic book panels. Mm-hmm. That's the only sketchbook I really have where I, that I kind of treated it like a scrapbook as well. Huh. And there's a lot of stuff glued in there, including olive branches that are still in there after oh, almost yeah. 20 years. And, wow. But... I I don't really do that anymore. I keep I, I still keep a lot of ephemera, but I tend to keep it separate now. I don't really glue it into books anymore. Well, I see that you were at the Eiffel Tower. I did. Yeah, I was there. I didn't go up in it. I was a poor student, and it was a winter, and it was oh, freezing, yeah. and I'm like, you know what? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go up there. That um, the page you're looking at there that was mm. a side street from. I was sitting, I was leaning up against the wall behind Notre Dame Cathedral and it was absolutely freezing outside and there was a little (laughs) garden gate, you know, there's a little garden in the back of the cathedral and there's a garden gate there and this busload of Japanese tourists, like a hundred tourists comes out of the church and they all walk down past the wall where I'm sitting and they all look at me and they all take photos of me (laughs) doing a sketch and blocking my view of the thing that I'm sketching and then they proceeded to go through the little garden gate behind the church, but nobody held the gate for anybody else. So the iron gate slammed like a hundred <laughs> times. Oh, wow. That's what I remember about that, that day. is a very specific memory. Yeah. I remember being very upset <laughs> that day. I mean, like, God, just hold the gate for each other. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere... Somebody is paging through their scrapbook, and there's an oh, image yeah, of this random this girl lady <laughs> sitting there doing a sketch, and she looked really mad, and I don't know why she was so mad. <laughs> so funny. But going through that really helped jog my oh, memory. Oh, this one. That is one of my favorite paintings. Yes. So there's a there's a postcard glued into my sketchbook of Kaibot's painting of the um, the floor varnishers <gasps> that's in the Musée d'Orsay. It is one of my favorite paintings of all time. Um, and it is such an unassuming painting. Like I tell people, people are like, what's your favorite impressionist painting? And I tell them this one and they're like, what? And, but the, the light, the light on the varnish mm-hmm. on the wood floor and the shavings that these guys are stripping off and the light on their skin, there's these three shirtless men, um, shaving off the varnish of this hardwood floor. It is stunning. It and it really has a is. beautiful composition. Yeah. It has this, it's almost monochromatic it just has this brown and blue color scheme Ugh, it's just perfection with mm-hmm. absolute minimalism I remember our class in front of this one and it's huge it is huge it's a huge painting yeah we were I think specifically looking at like large format mm-hmm. 19th century French paintings I, there you go yeah and and I definitely remember Kai this Bot one is studying so, this one he's so overlooked among the impressionist painters he he also did the there's a famous painting he did of the rooftops of Paris in the winter and you can see all of these kind of limestone chimneys receding off into the distance and it's another almost monochromatic composition but it is huh. so beautiful he's a hell of a painter man there's uh, there's a lot of good stuff in this book <laughs> oh you have Saint-Chapelle yes yes okay it doesn't look like much from the outside 
And no, I've it done doesn't. all this reading. Well, and it's like, inside the Palace of Justice. Mm-hmm. You have to go through metal detectors yeah, to go through Yeah, I remember there. it was really weird to get to, and I was like, I don't it's understand like airport what, security. what the big deal is. It's a federal then, building, that's why. Well, like, just when people talked about how beautiful it was from an artistic standpoint, yeah. and I got there and I was like, okay, guys, what's going on? This is, you know, it's pretty, yeah. but it's not stunning. And then you enter on, into the lower chapel, which yes. is beautiful. And it's got the, the dark blue paint on the ceiling with gold stars. Yep. It was a reliquary. Rel, how do you say that? Reliquary, yeah. Reliquary for the crown of thorns. That, oh, I yeah. forgot that detail. But I but I agree. I think the lower chapel is really the, the star of the show. I we went we walked into the lower chapel and I was I mean I was definitely smitten with the ceiling and the paint. It was just beautiful and their arches and it was stunning. However, did not live up to what all the hype that I'd heard oh, really? about St. Chapelle. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. And there, and then you have to go up to the actual chapel. And I remember gasping and oh, because with all the windows up there, the window, I had yeah. no idea what to expect. It doesn't look light and airy and from the so outside. It's tiny. Yeah, it, it is. It feels both pint sized and enormous it feels at the same time. Intimate and also in infinite because there's like 11, over 1100 yeah. stained glass windows in this. And they well, just, and, and it's such a feat of engineering because uh-huh. this was before they had cast iron technology. This so is like the 1200s. Yeah. And they built it in eight years. Yeah. I know that they did remove the windows during world war two yeah. to protect them. And actually some of the windows are now in the, um, what used to be called the Musée de Cluny, mm-hmm. which is now called the Musée de Moyen-Âge, the museum of the middle ages it's where the Lady and the Unicorn tapestries are and where all of... I've, we've talked about this on our other podcast. Mm-hmm. They also have um, eliminated manuscripts that they've taken apart and rebound oh, right. as individual pages so you can page through these eliminated manuscripts without ever touching the page. So all of that is is in this tiny little museum and it's fantastic. It is... Sent. So, yeah. So if you ever go to Saint-Chapelle, like finish the visit with a trip to the the museum in the middle ages that might be my favorite thing in paris not just and not just because of the lady in the unicorn tapestries which are also in the sketchbook i have spent a lot of time staring oh, at those wow. tapestries oh and my gosh, these are incredible <laughs> those tapestries they talk about the they believe that they're really that they're about the five senses mm. so taste smell touch sound and there's a sixth one that it's called amoncel desire my one desire and it's they think it's more about the soul Hmm. or the divine and each one has a lady and a unicorn in different different positions and they look like they were woven yesterday because the dyes that they used are still fresh and Hmm. when they found them the bottom foot and a half or so of each tapestry had been gnawed away by rats stupid rats stupid rats (laughs) so they found them in like the 19th century so they rewove the bottom foot or so of each one as an approximation but they used synthetic dyes that were available in the 19th century and those have all faded so when you look Hmm. at the tapestries they all have this faded stripe at the bottom because that's what was rewoven later and so the, the dyes that are 500 years old are in far better shape oh sorry i'm a weaving nerd oh. i so notre dame i actually don't like i went there it was beautiful i climbed up and took a million pictures behind the gargoyles of looking out but what i discovered was the museum that's sort of kitty corner and oh nobody goes there it's the yeah. archaeological crypt of the parvis of notre dame Odd. I don't know what parvis means, 
But when they were building a parking lot in 1970, they discovered ruins, ancient medieval ruins. And no one goes to this museum because it's like right next to Notre Dame, which is where everybody's going. But it was so incredible. And it gives you a really good sense of the history, kind of the geology of the area and also just the early inhabitants. Yeah. And I wished, um, cause I, I didn't go there until towards the end of my trip and I wished that I'd gone there earlier yeah. because it really kind of helped set the stage for the city and the area and, and who has lived there yeah. over, you know, yeah. a bajillion years. So I, I do recommend it, but yeah, I couldn't believe they, they were building an underground parking lot when they found that. Wow. The catacombs, they were actually very close to where we were staying. They were super creepy. Like, I was terrified in that way that you think you're going to die because you're so scared. Oh, wow. Because it's real dark down there. I, you know, I never made it to the catacombs in Rome either. I never made it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, at a certain point, it's like bone fatigue. Like, I've seen, I've seen all the bones and what you can do with them. Bone voyage. (laughs) (laughs) In Rouen, there's a, um, there's an ossuary. It was built after the plague struck the city and they Mm. it has it doesn't it's not made out of bones but it has like bone themed decor all around the outside (laughs) very popular it's pretty awesome and it's from like the 14th century so yeah wow you were talking about museums that nobody ever goes to i went to one in paris that was fantastic and uh, i would go there again in a heartbeat and you would probably love it it was the museum of decorative <gasps> arts oh my gosh that's on my list of oh. ones to talk about that okay so freaking good so good it was so good and, and, and this was my last day Me too, and i was on the what? last day and i was freaking out i'm like how did i not know about this sooner yeah. and the, the 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 everything the dress the set like they weren't sets they were like uh room settings yeah but oh my gosh everything in there everything they had like room after room after room of like typography and <sighs> like i remember the costume part like the clothing part was by far my favorite and i just like i was almost crying i couldn't believe that i had just discovered this and it was my last day it was incredible it was right down the street from the louvre like it was really yeah. close but no one had no mentioned one to go. It. it's the same thing it's yes. just like the one you described and next to like notre dame the best yeah. you know it's like um the decorative arts wing in the chicago art museum is in the basement all the good stuff is in the decorative yeah. arts wing and nobody ever goes there it's the same like the seattle art museum has a decorative arts minneapolis I has a great one theirs. also in the basement yes yeah it's my favorite part yeah what is up museums shoving all their designers in the basement it's where all the good stuff is it's where all the good stuff is minneapolis has a great one uh-huh. has a great one so did you do any like weird shopping did you do any like quest shopping. I know you were a student, so it's a little bit different. Yeah, I didn't have much of a budget. I just I just loved looking at everything. I mean, There's a cooking store in Paris that's oh. been open since 1820, and it's called, oh, I'm going to really butcher this, <laughs> um, Eau de Laurent. It looks like E de Hillerin. <laughs> that's not how you pronounce it, but that's what it looks like. And it's just this massive, never-ending space of completely unassuming displays of cooking tools. Like, no frills. It's not like fancy American Sur-le-tab. cooking stores where it's all, like, displays everywhere. Uh-huh. It looks like a hardware store. Like, you go down these aisles, and they've got, like, bins of spatulas in different sizes. <laughs> and this is the crepe aisle, and here are all the crepe tools. Here is an entire set of drawers filled with different sizes of whisks. Is it like Ikea takes on French cooking? But, like, extremely high quality, like okay. chef-grade okay. cooking tools. 
but it's arranged like a hardware store because it's where the pros go. Williams Sonoma hardware store. Williams Sonoma is such a crock. Like well, it's not. Yeah. It, it's like. But like. Fancy, it, it's like mood fabric for cooking tools. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, oh, that's a good yeah. comparison. It's amazing. <laughs> My husband is a big cook, so we went there and he basically died. I mean, it was the same day. <laughs> we went there the same day, I think, that we went to see the um, unicorn tapestries. So mm. I died and went to heaven that morning. And then that <laughs> afternoon, he died and went to heaven. You know, the the church that I really love is um, in Montmartre. It's Sacré-Cœur. It's that mm-hmm. iconic white ovoid thing at the top of the hill. And I, I think a lot of Parisians hate it because it's very modern compared to the rest of the rest of the city. I see that. But I think it's a really innovative it's design. It's beautiful. And I think it's beautiful, personally. And it's got and this even lacy more look than the outside it. are the, the mosaics on the inside. Mm. It, it's, I think it's lovely. I it love the, the kind of pattern work on the ovoid domes of the shape uh-huh. of the domes it has it's got a laciness to it the other the, the first time i went to Montmartre on my first trip to paris so back in 2001 this was when the film amelie came out it oh. came out that month in yeah fact, the, it came out december of That's 01 right i was working in a little independent movie theater that yeah was playing that and so it was... I, I saw it in paris when it came That's out so cool and um didn't realize it because it was before i went to see the film but i was in Montmartre and I passed the fruit stand that's in the movie. And then I saw the movie. I'm like, I was just there. (laughs) That's incredible. (laughs) And it was at night, like, you know, when it's all boarded up, like in the... In the film, she's there at night. And oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. I just kept thinking of so many movies set in Paris yeah. or having something to do with somebody going to Paris. Paris is always a subject of so many movies and TV shows. And it seems like every time I see Paris in a film or in a TV show, Paris steals the show. It ends up <laughs> being whatever it is. It ends up being a love letter to Paris itself. So that's true. Uh, off the top of my head, Julie and Julia is this big love mm-hmm. letter to Paris. Um, Sabrina, she goes to... She is waxing poetic about Paris to hard-ass Humphrey Bogart. And, oh my gosh. Midnight what, in Paris, the Woody Midnight Allen in film. Paris, the biggest Actually, love letter to Paris of, of all. And even he's, he says, He's done like, like three different ones in Paris, I think. Yeah, I haven't seen the other ones. I've only seen that one. But even Owen Wilson says something kind of the same thing, what I just said. Like, you cannot not get excited about Paris. Yeah. Like, you just can't. The Devil Wears Prada, it, the whole end of it. Sex in the City, the series ends when she's in Paris. That's right. It's, it, and so much about Paris is iconic, just about the city, that it kind of doesn't matter what your movie is about. If you set it in Paris, it's going to be a winner. So one of the movies that I grew up with was Silk Stockings. I've never even heard of that. Yeah, I know. It, I mean, there was I think the there's a show. Yeah. 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 I've heard but of that. But this is like an old musical from the 50s. 50s, and it starred um, Sid Charisse and Fred Astaire. Oh. And she is a Soviet lady who... Like a very, spy? She's, no, she's like, a, she works for the city. I don't know if she lives in Moscow or something, but she huh. very grudgingly goes to Paris because she's supposed to learn how their light grid works so she can take that information back to the Soviet Union. How and odd. it's like, yeah. It's really weird. So the premise is like, she is this no-nonsense Russian lady who really doesn't want to go to Paris because she's heard it's frivolous and silly and ridiculous. But she gets there and then Fred Astaire is there to like whisk her off her feet and show her the sights of Paris. And he Fred basically- Fred is pretty long in the tooth by that point. Yeah, but he's he's convincing. <laughs> well, he's, he's also in funny face, so it's- 
it's a really ridiculous and wonderful movie. Yeah. And so it's about her just like gradually succumbing to being won Paris. over by the city. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what it does. I have a soft spot for Julie and Julia. You I can like, take Julia. I, or you can, you take, can take Julie. Julie. Yes, yes, yes. Julie can give go me, away. Give me the Julia just, parts all the time. I just want time. Julia and Julia. Absolutely. Yes. One of my favorite lines is when they, they have a come to Jesus talk with Louisette Bertolt and they tell her they want to demote her to the book being with Louisette Bertolt and mm-hmm. she goes whiz <laughs> I, every time someone says you know with or I'm like whiz <laughs> I love those parts so very much <sighs> I just yeah like I want I'm sure somebody has actually just stripped out all the Julie parts and put Let's together just, the I have, Julia. I admit because, I have fast forwarded on the DVD. Oh yeah. The last time I watched it. And I really loved that. Uh, no, I loved My Life in Paris by Julia My Life Child. in France? Yeah, My yeah. Life in France. That's a great book. So good. Beautiful um, book. And I just, I love her experiences in Paris. Yeah. It must have been such an incredible time to be there. Oh, I know. Like everything's but changing. But also probably heartbreaking because it was right, at, they moved there in like 47. So mm-hmm. it was like right after the war, they would have still been rebuilding. Right. Actually on our honeymoon trip, we went to Rouen and that was where the childs were first when they first moved to Paris. They went Rouen for a little bit. There's a famous restaurant in Rouen. We didn't get to eat there, but I remember passing it. Uh, La Couronne. I'm probably saying that wrong. The it means crown. the crown. And it was found, it's the oldest restaurant in France, purportedly. It was founded in 1345. It is also purportedly the place where Julia Child experienced French cuisine for the first time. <gasps> I remember that that moment she's talking about smelling she's like, oh my god oh my, everything. Oh my god yeah oh, just, oh, oh. well no and I think it was her husband Paul yeah. was telling her what she was smelling they went into the Butter. restaurant well and he like Butter. there were all of these scents coming like herbs and different things that they were using yeah. in the kitchen that they weren't familiar with and right. she's and he's kind of walking her through the different scents and then she has that the transcendental soul yeah I, that's such a good scene I actually have had that experience in a restaurant where you have <laughs> soul the proper way to prepare soul is to fillet it for you at the table and then it's so they cook it with the bone in for whatever reason. Maybe it's easier. Maybe it imparts flavor. I don't know. And then the server fillets it for you at the. And so that moment in that film where it where the bone is separating from the thing. It's it's a magical moment in the movie, and it is magical in real life too. Because I've huh. had, I've actually been there for that. Not at that restaurant, obviously, okay. but I have had that experience, and it is so wonderful, and it's so fresh and lovely, and yeah. So I spent a month there. Wow. Yeah. Back Were you a student? Or? Mm-hmm. I was. Okay. This was a J term, so it was. Mm. So I I've been there for one month of the year, and it was January, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend because yeah, it gets cold. It does. But it was really amazing. So. I was there specifically to study 19th century art history. Nice. And um, yeah, Paris oh, is so a good Montmartre. place. Yes. Sacré-Cœur is like the 19th century church. Yes. And we, I mean, I feel like over the course of the month, I saw almost all the major sites, but our classroom was the Louvre. Oh. And it was like one particular room Wait, the Louvre, not the not the Musée d'Orsay. We went there too for. I mean, most of the 19th century stuff is there. I feel like the like it picked off picked up where the Louvre leaves off, and then from the d'Orsay you have like the Pompidou, right? Which is so modern. it's like these so it's different like, eras. Yeah, that's how I always thought of it. Like I always think of the Louvre as going up through the 18th century, and then the Musée d'Orsay is the 19th century and early 20th century, and then the Pompidou is everything modernist, yeah. and postmodern. And the Pompidou is closed. They rent. Is were, it? Are they renovating? 
No, they were renovating it when I was there. So I have not been to the Pompidou. I have not been to the Pompidou either. Both, I've been to Paris twice. Both times I ran out of time because Aww. I was too busy going to all Everything. of the other things. <laughs> Everything yeah. else. Yes. yes. Unfortunately, this is a theme for me. The, the really modernist stuff <gasps> ends up losing out. So yeah. I have still never been to the Guggenheim. What? Yep. Oh my. Yep. Yeah. Just if I have the choice, I'm gonna sure. go to I'm gonna go to Musée d'Orsay. Yeah. Well, because hello, amazing collection and amazing building. The building is so stunning. That clock, the old like train station clock. Do you have a the do you only have a sketch of the this? only photograph I have that's actually a photograph. The only one I have <sighs> is this. Love it. It's the clock. Oh, it's so beautiful. So yeah, it's up on that one end of what was the train station, and it's all windows. And I love that you can watch people walking back and yep. forth in those hallways that are kind of above and behind I love that too. the clock. For whatever reason, the most recent trip to France is a total blur for me. It was my hmm. honeymoon. Oh, I had some of the worst jet lag in my whole life on that trip because just how it worked out. And we were with friends for most of the time. So there was like a lot of group activity. I did not document that trip assiduously like I do every other trip. Huh. It was like my least documented trip of my life. That's funny. And I was still shooting film. This was the last this was the last trip I took that I was still shooting film before I switched over to digital. So I have almost nothing to show for this trip. And so I was taking notes last night and I'm like, oh my God, I don't remember anything about this trip. What is wrong with me? Huh. And so I, so I went digging through boxes. I, I couldn't find my photos from the trip. They're still in a box from our last move. But the one thing I did find, I found some index prints. I only shot about six rolls of film the whole time. That was I hope all. you have the contact sheets yeah, for them. That's nice. all I have. And and then there's two photographs back in here besides that. I don't know how they got in here. One is of some random cobblestones. They're beautiful. And one <laughs> is that clock that you just talked oh, about. Funny. That's all that's in there. But I sat down with my husband last night and I'm like, can we can we talk about this Paris trip, this France trip that we took? Because I'm having trouble remembering what we did on each day. And I think like I'm getting these snippets and I kind of want to reconstruct it. So we sat down and he dug out his journal and it turned out his journal was all about like impressions about like what traveling abroad does for you. And I'm like, what are you what? doing? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. So he's like, yeah, sorry. I didn't write anything. I'm like, oh, and, oh, that's um, funny. <laughs> but the, the, the really amazing thing was we, we started putting it together and he, my husband saves everything. He has like every receipt, every ticket stub, everything. And he found them. He found the envelope that had all this stuff. And so we were able to put it all together oh, wow. date by date. And the real treasure trove that we had, we pull out this map and I brought it here. So I'm actually unfolding it right now. Um, not only is this the map of where we went, but he marked every road we traveled oh, and on what day. Yeah. So I have such regrets that I have not done this in the past. Yeah. We were staying. So I was with a group, a school group. We were staying a little ways out. Um, the subway stop that we were on was Glossier, Glacier, Glacier. Oh. And the place that we were staying was like a group hostel. You shared a room but it was built for groups that were traveling. Sure. And so it was like pretty low budget, kind of a dorm yeah. room style. There's one like that in Florence that I see. And it's at. very, like, it was very no nonsense, totally fine. They yeah. had a cafeteria and you got 25 points a day for your food at the cafeteria. And inevitably you'd have like one or two points left every day. Yeah. And so at the cash register, they had chuppa chups. Those, um, oh, choop choops. Choop choops, yeah. It means sucker. So they they had those at the like cash register. Chupacabra means goat sucker. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay. Random so, fact. Yeah. So we would all have these all the time because we just wanted to spend our remaining one or two yeah. points. And that's what they were. They were like one point each or something. My professor would, he was eating them all the time, like that's all the time. Funny. And we went to the Louvre every day and he would be sucking on one of these as we're walking through the Louvre. They let you do that? No, they do not. <laughs> and so daily, one of the guards would have to say, um, excuse me, sir, you're not allowed to have food in here. And he would put it away, but then what he would do is like put it right back in his mouth in the next room. And then it was like, people do these this with cigarettes, very skilled people, I don't know who, and put it in their mouth like when they walk past. So he would just like absorb the entire thing. That is hilarious. It, yeah. So every day our professor got in trouble with the guards for sucking on his sucker uh, in the Louvre. Oh, yes. So this place that we were staying, which, by the way, I found using Google yeah. Street View. I knew our subway stop. So I went to the subway stop and then I saw the intersection out front, like using street view. And I navigated down the streets that I remembered from like 20 years ago Good job. to the I'm place. I'm planning to do that about this trip. I didn't have time before today, but it's that's so my plan amazing. to try I, to reconstruct this trip. I can't believe how much I could remember. And yeah. it was just, it was thrilling to see these locations again and be like, oh yeah, that's that beautiful gate that we turned right at. So I yeah. found my way to where we had stayed and um, across the street was a mental hospital and I was staying like on the third or fourth floor and we could look right into the cafeteria at the mental hospital. Wow. And every morning, everybody who was a patient there would come for their breakfast in red. They were all wearing red pajamas. They were like long johns. Oh man. Right. I know it was really weird. And they were all getting their meds at the same time. Whoa. So every morning, my the roommate, cup yes, the- every morning, my roommate and I would wake up and we'd watch the patients across the street in the red pajamas getting their meds. Wow. I have stayed in hostels before, but not in France. So the the first time I went, I stayed with that friend in that Garrett apartment. And I remember I was living in Rome at the time. And when I told people that I knew either like back home on the phone or usually it was people back home. When I said, oh, I'm going to go to Paris next week for the first time, everybody would say, oh, be careful. It's really dirty. The streets are really dirty there. And I'm like, okay. And I get there and it is compared to where I had been living in Rome. Rome is a very <laughs> dirty place and it is spotless compared to Naples. So Rome is a place where there's dog poop everywhere. Like you have to be on poop patrol everywhere you go because there's poop everywhere. So it's Paris. And there's graffiti. But compared to Rome, like I'm walking around France and I'm like, this city is so clean. I could lick the sidewalk. Ugh. It felt so clean to me. I was blown away by the amount of dog poop in this otherwise gorgeous city. And one of the other things I remember very vividly was waking up in the morning, looking out the window, seeing them actually hosing off the tops of the street lamps, but not minding that there are piles of dog poop on the sidewalk. I'm like, your priorities are all messed up, you guys. I saw them washing the street there in the sidewalks. I never saw it. Yeah, I did. people, so I later researched this because I, I figured somebody has to slip and fall in this poop, like 650 people that one year had go, had to go to the hospital because they had slipped in dog poop. That's hilarious. 650. Come on, Paris. I don't know. Get your priorities straight. I guess it's all your perspective (laughs) because I was like, wow, compared to New York, this place is so clean. Yeah, that is true. And it's really clean compared to Rome. And it's like unbelievably spotless compared to Naples. Grit and grime are one thing. Poop, 
like actual fecal matter. There's poop in New York and it's all of the human variety yeah, there. I know, but it's not like in piles everywhere. The dog poop. I just, there, and I there could not. A lot, there's not a lot of public toilets in Paris. No, I did notice that. all of Europe. Like you really have to go after you eat somewhere. Otherwise you're kind of SOL. In a museum or, yeah. What are we talking about? Paris and poop. One of the other things that I did that was surprisingly awesome was the Paris Lachaise Cemetery, which is nice. beautiful. It's huge. It's incredibly historic. There are so many famous people buried there. Ooh. So many, including oddly Jim Morrison. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. And Oscar I Wilde. Been, but I remember he's buried in Paris. Edith Piaf. Edith Piaf. Uh, Delacroix. Delacroix, the Delacroix. painter. Delacroix. This is, maybe this is why I was nervous about doing this podcast because I always like at least try to pronounce things, but then yeah, I, sound, really I feel like good. I'm pretentious and, and I I, I just sound terrible and pretentious, like pretentious and awful. So I don't even try. I'm just going to butcher oh. it. I'm just going to steamroll right through it. I will say one of like if I had a time machine, one of the very few changes I would make to my life is I would go back to high school and continue my French classes uh. because I was actually taking college French in high school and I only did it for like a semester yeah. and I should have kept going because I was, it was so good and yeah. I really regret not getting further in that. And I felt like I missed out by not knowing the language because I studied Spanish for six years in school and then, and then I moved to Italy. So I, I'm, I'm not quite fluent in Italian, but I would say proficient. I know enough of these other two languages that I can understand French really well. Mm -hmm. Actually, even when someone is speaking to me, even at normal speed, I can actually get a fair amount of what they're saying. I can read French really, really well because it's the grammatically it's very similar to mm -hmm. Italian, but I can't speak it. I can't conjugate any verbs. Yeah. So next time I go back, I, I really want to actually study a little bit of like, Let's conjugate, let's like, I want to learn 50 verbs and conjugate them. I, I remember conjugating verbs in class and I think, so now there are podcasts. You can learn languages via podcasts, which is Sweet. so smart. Like technology is amazing. Yeah. I'm so glad that it's here for me. So <laughs> I'm going to be using it. I know that I missed out on a ton because, mm -hmm. and I was very selective about my experiences because of the language barrier and because I didn't want to feel foolish, which I still did. But I remember they were having an international film festival in January and I saw so many movies partly because like I didn't know what else to do because I couldn't really yeah. speak the language but also I saw some great movies I remember that was the first time I saw Ar Arsenic and Old Lace oh, was in nice. Paris with subtitles I also saw Priscilla Queen of the Desert which is one of my all-time favorite movies That's so great of forever and that is when I learned how off subtitles can be because I was laughing at completely different places it yeah. was it was actually uh subtitled in French Right. So yeah, so they played the English version. So I'm laughing at certain moments and then the audience is laughing at entirely different times. Because the subtitles because, meant something different. Yep. Yeah. And it was so fascinating to me. But I saw so many movies and the Woody Allen movie came out while we were there. My friends and I went to see it. It was called... Not Midnight so, in Paris. No, the, the translation was All the States of Harry. Like that was the oh, French. Deconstructing it's Harry. Deconstructing Harry, which I can never remember the actual title, like the, yeah. Eng the English title, because I remember it as All the States of Harry. That's so funny. And so it opened and we went to go see it and we were just aghast when the ticket person was like, it's sold out. And here we are, we're like four little Americans. We're like, what? And we, we were just so shocked. Oh, and one of my favorite, favorite lines of all time, she looked at us and she said, French people love Woody Allen. Oh my God! 
kind of in this huffy, like, what do you think you're doing? Did you think that we would ignore this fantastic film that has That's come our way? It was so funny. It was such a good line. So one of, I think one of the things that I really missed out on that Paris is known for are the markets because I yes. couldn't converse and I, certainly not numbers. Yeah. So the market scene, I, it just always terrified me and it was really sad because that is one of the things Paris is known for. But even just walking around. Yeah. I just, would walk around, but know, I couldn't like, I couldn't do anything if I saw something. I can't even haggle also, in English. I, I would mean, have gotten completely ripped off, like not even any chance otherwise, but. But maybe you should treat it like like gambling in Vegas. Right. Like you have a budget for getting ripped off yeah. at a market. I guess that's a that's a good way to look at I it. I mean, I hate haggling even in English. Like yeah. I hate it. So I probably pay more at flea markets in the States than I than I should. Yeah. One of the other memories so actually, as I was going through all of my stuff on Paris, I was trying to get back in the frame of mind. And so I was there in January and for Christmas, just before I had received um a CD it was Bjork homogenic. Mm. And that is what I listened to every single night as I was going to bed. Mm. And so last night I put that on and it was, it I still was triggers. transported. Yep. I was, it was amazing. And I love that about music. Yeah. I have, I have one like that. I have a lot of albums like that, but one that jumps out is, um, there's a Norwegian duo called the Kings of Convenience. And they <laughs> came out with their first album when I was living overseas. And I remember listening to it it's very quiet. It's it's like Simon and Garfunkel quiet. And I remember listening to it when I was on the Amalfi Coast and I was sitting outside and I was staring out to sea and it was early in the morning. So the sun was like playing off of the water and it was oh, all sparkling geez. and it matched the guitar like perfectly. <laughs> and so now I'm, every time I hear that, I'm absolutely transported to that moment. I love that. And I feel like you can't plan it. No, you know, it, like, you can't set it up ahead of time. Right. It just has to happen. So I, I spent a month there as the, well, it's probably like three weeks um, in January. And then right after that, my dad and brothers flew to Paris to join me. And then mm. from Paris, I was actually starting a new program in Northern Scotland. So there was sort of this weird in-between time. Yeah. So I didn't really know much about Rick Steves at that point. Oh. Um, but my dad had found all of his books on all the places we were going. And he heard about this place called Rue Claire, the street Rue Claire that was supposed to be incredible. Okay. And so he found a hotel there on that street. And I remember, I mean, it was a really cute place, very small. Yeah. And the elevator was like for luggage only. Yeah. And maybe one person, <laughs> yeah. but mostly just for luggage. Yeah. But the street, it was adorable. It was like perfection, French perfection. Cause you had every, you have one of each kind of service in its like full glory wow. with the awnings and the, like the, every, you know, the produce and the meats and the cheeses and the boulangerie, like everything spilling out about as perfectly as possible on this one street. It's in, I think the seventh arrondissement. So left bank. Can I just say, I love the arrondissement system. I do not understand it. What the It hell? is in a snail shell. Right. Why? Why would you ever do because this? Because it's France and why not do something in an awesome, completely <laughs> badass way? And it's based from Notre Dame, right? Isn't that like point zero? I believe that's right. It does make it a challenge for remembering the city, but once you get it, it's actually quite logical because a grid would never, the city's not in a grid. I right. mean, it is in a few places. Once you remember how the snail shell goes, you actually 
can figure out where you are. I'll have to see if this makes more sense my second time around. And, it, and it's still roughly in a ring. Like most major European cities are in a ring. They have like a ring road. Like it, Vienna has the Ringstrasse that goes around mm-hmm. it. Even Rome has the Roman wall and then it has a, the autostrads go in a ring around the city. Minneapolis. Minneapolis. <laughs> has the 394 and 494. Oh. Is that the first time we've heard Paris compared to Minneapolis? <laughs> I wasn't exactly comparing a f- them. A friend but. of mine once told me that about Madison, Wisconsin, that it's Parisian in a Wisconsin sort of way. <laughs> and it really kind of is. is. <laughs> I love that. It's very, that is true. It in really a Wisconsin is. kind of way, it is. Yeah, it's all leading and to the capital. And it has the capital. And the, yeah, yeah, the right? triumph. Yeah. Except it's in an X pattern, not a snail shell. But oh, that's so funny. And it's got these little narrow streets and the little shops. And oh my gosh, that's it. I, totally is. It totally is. Okay, <laughs> that has just really changed how I think of yep. Madison, Wisconsin. Oh right, I just flipped to this one. So what? What is that so from? After class, my friends and I were wandering around near that's Diana's tunnel yes, near yeah. near the river. I recognize and the we photo. We came across some signage, and we're like, "This sounds familiar. Why? Why do these names sound familiar?" And we kept walking, and then we happen upon this monument, which is actually it's the torch that the Statue of Liberty holds. So it's the same mold, but just the gold version. Oh, right, and because France gave. Yes, and that. It's, it's that torch, and this was put there to symbolize the relationship between France and the U.S. <laughs> anyway, but as we got closer, we saw mounds and mounds of flowers and bouquets and cards, and we realized... This we, was 1997, wasn't it? Yes, this, so, so that was January, like the year that it happened. January of 98, people were still leaving yeah, flowers right by the tunnel where Princess Diana died. Didn't that happen in like July? It happened August 91st. Look at you. Or August, like the very tippy tip end of August. I know this because a week later I flew to London and oh. I actually got there as the funeral was going on. Holy crap. And it was... It was it was crazy. Wait, so you arrived in London for the first time during her funeral? Yes. Because I arrived in London for the first time during the Queen Mum's funeral. <laughs> Weird. That's and the city was madhouse, and you couldn't get yeah. anywhere. This well, this actually everybody was off the road. The guy was taking the the guy who picked me up at the airport was taking me to my host family's house. The roads were dead, like nobody was on oh. them. And he said, "This is." Because everybody's home watching the funeral. Like, it was super strange that there was yeah. nobody out on the road. Looking at, you know, so we both have kind of feel this sense of regret or of having missed something. So you've just been there the one time, but yes. you were there for a month. Mm-hmm. And I've been there twice, but for fairly, for just a week each time. So pretty short amount of time. But I still, I think we both kind of feel like maybe we weren't old enough to quite appreciate it. Or we, yeah. didn't, we didn't travel then the way we travel now. Like, this feeling that you, we've missed stuff. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know. You're going to go back, and I'm sure I will get back there Yes, eventually. I feel you will. And I think in the end, it doesn't matter so much because we'll have another chance. You will have another chance. Yours is coming up soon. And even if we don't remember all of the details, we still have experienced what it's like to be there, and we still love the city on its own terms. And I feel like that's the real strength of Paris is that it is something everybody can love no matter who you are no matter where you come from no matter where you are in your life it will change you and make you want to come back and experience it again so I think like it does in every film that it's in (laughs) it steals the show and I think it needs to be the subject of our toast too so to Paris city of light to Paris je t'aime je t'aime